We're going to be in John 18, uh, 28 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to pray for us before we even get started, okay? Um, what was said in the songs, what was said uh, during uh, offering and stuff like that, that stuff is true. I can't do anything up here, right? Everything here is supernatural. Whether you want to believe this or not in like a um, Western mindset, we can think that like, you know, if I just figure it out and I'm smart enough and if I can read enough apologetics, I'll get it figured out and I'll become a Christian. What happens is we go from death to life. We don't say that as figures of speech. So there is nothing that I personally, Joshua Shortridge, can do. But the Spirit of God can move in such a way that softens your heart and we can respond too. So that's what we're going to pray for. That's what we're expecting. We're expecting us to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. Fancy word for that, sanctification. But that is our goal, is to be made more and more into the image and likeness of our Creator. So I just want us to pray together. Um, brothers and sisters in the faith, if you believe in Jesus Christ, pray. And also, I'm just going to be up front as I can. It's just been a lot of activity in the neighborhood here. Addiction going up. Drug abuse going up. Overdoses going up. So what we need to do, if we call this place home, if salt and light is your home church, what we're going to do is we're going to pray that God would open up eyes and hearts today, equip us for the work that we have, and also pray that his spirit would go out in this area. And we would see redemption, we would see restoration, we would see deliverance, because we need to see that. And the reason I say this up front is because I can't do anything. In my own power, but the Spirit of God can. So we're going to rely and trust in Him. And guys, if you don't know, we don't have um, a children's ministry. We have parents. And we do that on purpose, and I'm thankful for it because I absolutely love having children in the service. Because we want to be a family. We are in this together, so we walk this out together. Right? So if this is your first time here at Salt and Light and you see kids running around, it's not an accident. That is by design. All right? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for having him die on the cross. Thank you for having him raised from the dead. Thank you that you are the one that takes us from death to life. I pray that you would open up eyes and hearts and minds today. People that are Christian, I pray that you would strengthen them. People that do not know you or trust in you, I pray that they would. And I pray for this neighborhood in this area. I pray for this physical property at 888 Parsons that you would uh, bring restoration and healing there and peace as well. We've seen a lot of activity, a lot of things that breaks my heart Father, I pray that you would bring healing and restoration. You have made us portable temples, and as portable temples, if anybody's far from God but close to us, they're close to God, so let us go out. Let us be involved. Let us be in the face of it, and let us be praying, not doing it on our own power, our own will, our own might, but saying, God, you need to show up, and I will be your vessel. Father, we need you. If we don't have you, we have nothing. He who builds without the Lord builds in vain, so we need you present today. These men and women here, united together in one family, I thank you for them, my brothers and sisters. Heartbreaking day yesterday when getting multiple, multiple texts about 
severe illnesses and deaths and the finality of life. Father, I pray that your peace would be present today and active. I pray for those saints that trust in you, that they would have peace that the world doesn't get, that the world doesn't understand in the midst of heartache and sorrow. And I pray that we as the body of Christ would be present in their lives. <coughs> Father, thank you. I pray that these no words would just not be sounds, but faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I pray the word of God would be spoken and preached today and it would lead to transformed lives. Pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm just zooming this morning, guys. All right, so we're going to be in John 18, 28 through 40. We heard last week the interwoven story between Peter's denial and Jesus' trial. We saw how Jesus stood firm when Peter falters. Jesus is in the business of redeeming failures. We can continue on this trial of our Savior. And today in John, we're going to be in 18. We're going to be finishing up this chapter next week. Obviously, we'll be doing 19. And this sermon series is called Sovereign Savior. You might be like, what, what does that even mean? Sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power. Possessing supreme or ultimate power. So when we say that Jesus is the sovereign Savior, we are saying that though his death has happened, it wasn't out of the realm of Jesus' control. He was in control of everything that's going to transpire and take place. He willingly gave up his life in exchange for his bride, and that bride is the church. The people who is, he is going to redeem and save. That is who makes up the church. Redeemed individuals, people who trust in him as Savior. The same people sitting here. So this story is of utmost importance for us, right? We're going to see the shift between the religious elite and the political elite, right? Jewish leadership are handing over Jesus to the Roman officials. Everyone was out to get Jesus, right? Everyone was out to get Jesus. In the garden, he was arrested. The Romans were present. So were the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So you had the religious folks, the rulers of the Jewish people, and the political elite, the Romans, non-Jewish people, all converging the dead of night to one spot. We will see that the Jewish people hand over Jesus to the Romans because they didn't want to kill him themselves, right? It's twofold. We're going to see that there's a trial of lies and where the world will lie about who Jesus is, but Jesus stands as the king of truth. There's a contrast between trials of lies and the king of truth, but then we see in the story of Barabbas this beautiful great exchange. We'll be camping out in there for a little bit. But Jesus' death is an exchange for the sinner's life. That's what we see. So the trial of lies, we're going to start in verses 28. And he says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, 
If this man were not doing evil, we would not deliver him over to you. And Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him with your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anybody to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken and show what kind of death he was going to die. Fascinating. The religious elite were so concerned with their own rules and regulations that they were blinded by the fact that they were actively putting to death their Messiah. Fun. The Messiah that they were waiting for, the Messiah that they were studying for, the Messiah that they sat down and read the first five books and memorized all of the Old Testament and had this put to memory, and they were so blinded that they put him to death. Actively wanting to kill what they claimed they truly wanted, the Messiah. Pay attention to how blinded they were. It says, they themselves did not enter into the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Jews could go inside of a Gentile courtyard in the open sky, but they couldn't go inside a Gentile building or a home with a roof on it without becoming ceremonial unclean, right? Some first century history for you. And this is interesting, right? Because us as humans, we find ways to add to what God has required of us. The religious elite had added to the word of God to make themselves appear more holy, and then they added requirements. That's a fascinating thing. Because it doesn't just happen here in the first century. It happened all the way in Genesis 3. Eve did the same thing. It's the same trap. And the more we know traps, the better we can avoid them. The more we see them coming, the better we can stand aware. God said, do not eat of this tree of evil. But Eve, when tempted by the serpent, said that God said, do not eat or touch of this tree. Adding to what God has said causes heartache. See how adding to the word of God's and the requirements, these can become problematic. This is why here at Salt and Light, first two values you will hear over and over again. Scripture-saturated, prayerful people. We got three more. We will be talking about them more, but I want to keep hitting on these. This is why we have study Bibles over here. We want you to be in the Word of God till the Word of God gets in you and it transforms your lives. We know that this can happen, and we see it. This is why we want to see the Word of God preached and proclaimed and talked about. Because we see how adding to the word of God and its requirements can become problematic. We use the word of God as a guide that will equip us to godliness. It doesn't save. People will do this with the gospel. They will add to it. They can twist it. The gospel is the good news. In order to be saved, you must believe it. We are saved by grace through faith, not from ourselves, but as a gift from God. That is the gospel. And it is made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we stand before God and we ask, and he asks, like, hey, why should I even be letting you in? Right? Why should you go into the promised land? Why should you go into New Jerusalem? If our answer is, well, Jesus, I'm glad you asked. I went to church. I read my Bible. I did good works. And I was a nice person. You have missed the point of the gospel. You have misunderstood what the gospel means. Now, these things are good, but they're not means of salvation. I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm saying do not trust in these things for salvation. Martin Luther once said that we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. 
I'm going to repeat that again, that we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. When we are transformed by the renewal of our mind and we begin to walk and talk and act like Jesus, guess what happens? We change. We're different. It's evidence. It's fruit. It's not the root. The root is through faith. You're not saved by good works for clarity. So reading the Bible, being a prayerful person, being in community, these are all good things. Dare I say great things. And these are great for the upbuilding of becoming more like Jesus. That word, sanctification. They're all good for those things. But salvation, salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone. And I say this all because the religious elite are prone to add to the word of God. And Eve was prone to add to the word of God. So you know what that means? So can we. So can we. Sometimes we just need a reset button, a refresher, be able to look at it and be like, what is God really talking about here? I have conversations, I have communications, I talk to people, and you can hear just a little bit, buying into this lie. Well, well, Josh, man, I've been reading my Bible, I'm doing good. Like, I'm a good person because of X, Y, and Z. I want us, if I had my wish, right, I just want us to fall in love with Jesus. I want us to look at him and see the beauty that he was, the fact that God put on flesh, came to earth, lived, uh, lived, died, served, rose. I told you this about four weeks ago, the beautiful story, Sermon on the Mount, big, massive chunk, Sermon on the Mount, it parallels Moses. The people of God come down, see Moses, they're like, ah, cover your face, I can't stand to see you. The glory of God shone down and they wanted to cover their eyes. But what happened when Jesus came down to the mountain? A leper was there. The outcast, the despondent, the them came close to Christ. This is a beautiful thing. I don't say this so you'll just be more holy for the sake of what? I want you to be in love with Jesus because he is beautiful and amazing and magnificent and it will change your life. This is the beautiful thing, right? So I don't want us to be ill-equipped. So the religious elite, they go on and tell Pilate, the Roman official, that they want the Romans to kill him. And this is another fascinating point of history that we have to like, we can zoom by the text and like not look at these beautiful gems. They want to be clean, from not entering into an unclean place, but their conscience is so seared that they didn't have a problem with condemning an innocent man. That's a fascinating thing, right? A clouded mind will justify many a sins. Renewal of the mind is what Jesus and the Holy Spirit does. But listen, verse 30 and 31 says this. They answered the man, if this man was not, they answered him, if this man was not doing evil, would we have delivered him over to you? This is the religious elite talking to Pilate. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him with your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, this is an interesting historical thing. Capital punishment was reserved for the Romans and the Romans alone, right? So you will listen to these guys and you'll be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. The Jewish people, they're not going to actively kill anybody because it wasn't permissible by Romans, right? That Romans would have crushed them. But the Jewish people had no authority to condemn the man to death. But in a short time later, very short time, Acts 7 rolls around. Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. They pick up stones and crush his skull in. 
They martyr the man. They murder the man. They have no problem with capital punishment there. But there's a certain death reserved in this book, a certain death that the religious elite wanted Jesus to die. They wanted him to be hung on a cross. Why is that? Because it's the sovereign Savior's plan. One, and he gets exactly what he wants. Two, but why is that? Why can't they just stone Jesus and be over it? Deuteronomy 21 says a man who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. So they wanted this type of death for Jesus. They figured if this man was claiming to be God and all the people saw that he was killed and hung up like a common criminal, a cursed man, it would prove that he's cursed by God and the favor of God isn't on him and this whole insurrection would stop. John writes in 32, but this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. They didn't take an account that he is God. Galatians 3.13 puts it beautifully. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus knew what he was doing. Our Savior died the death of a cursed man to take the curse that we deserved. This is the gospel. This is the switcheroo. He knew what he was doing. He was still in control of this plan, and it was unfolding right in front of their faces because he is the king of truth. Verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered into his headquarters again, calling Jesus and said to them, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your, of your own accord, or do others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your nation and chief priests delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, say that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to my voice, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Verse 38, Pilate said, what is truth? <laughs> what is truth? What is truth? This is the question that we will ask ourselves. This is the question that we'll ask over and over again. Lives are half-truth or assumptions. They're very dangerous in this life. You've seen it firsthand. How often do assumptions get us into trouble? How often can misunderstandings cause undue frustration? We can assume someone has ill intentions for us, and we can react in a way that causes more harm than good, all because we believed a lie. For a Christian, the mindset should be found, it's found beautifully in Philippians 4.8. If you want to write this down, I'm telling you, this is practical Practical, practical stuff. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Write that verse down. Read it this week. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. We're talking about the renewal of our mind here. It is 
easy to slip and slide down the previous path that we have lived. If we are angry, it's easy to fall down the path of anger. If we are frustrated and annoyed, it's easy to fall down that path. So what we need to do is take our thoughts captive and think on these things. Because our minds should be fixated on the truth. The religious elite were not fixated on the truth. Their minds was fixated on being right. Right? They would do the wrong thing to make themselves appear right. And the Roman officials, their mind wasn't fixated on truth. Their mind was fixated on peace. They would willingly do the wrong thing in order to preserve peace and maintain power. So what is truth? What is truth? Jesus is truth. Right? He reveals this in John 14. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. This is why Jesus says he is the truth. Not a truth, but the truth. Right? It's the truth. We do not see simply that what he says and what he speaks is true. But he himself is the embodiment of all things that are true. He is truth and flesh. To look at Jesus' life is to what it truly means to be human. We are not meant to just stress out and work hard and become an, a better version of ourselves. But we should be made more and more into the image of the creator. We need to be thinking like Jesus thinks, love like Jesus loves, act like Jesus acts, walk like Jesus walks. And we have been given the blueprint, right? He says, you have said... You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Someone who bears witness, gives testimony to, shows in a court of law, he is showing us what truth incarnate looks like. The king of truth. Church, get me. It's easy to act like the world. I fall under stupid paths all the time. It is easy to take offense. It is easy to just go with the flow. It is easy. A dead fish will easily flow downstream. That's an easy thing for a dead fish to do. In fact, dead men can do nothing. Dead men float through life. You might think you're doing something, but you're just floating through life. To act like the world will come easy. It takes no effort because of our flesh. But at Jesus' resurrection... We see in the book of Acts that he gives his people his spirit. And his spirit changes the mind and hearts and gives us the ability to think like Jesus thinks, to love like Jesus loves, to act like Jesus acts, and to walk like Jesus walks. We are portable temples now. I will repeat that over and over again. Because this is our mission statement. This is what we are to be about. Portable temples. Not only do we have the blueprint of Jesus' life, we have the building materials, we have a foreman, we have the tools necessary to just be conformed to his image and share the good news. Love God, love people, teach others to do the same. We can do that through the equipping of the Spirit. So this salvation is not just believe this, now work hard and continue in the flesh. It's not it at all. No, the Spirit is active in the hearts of believers to see this through the end. We are all who are in Christ being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. That is our goal. Jesus is the King of truth. 
He was condemned on a trial of lies. Jesus stands as the king of truth, showing us that the greatest threat isn't enemies without, but the sin within. I'm going to repeat that. The greatest threat, the greatest threat is not enemies without, but sin within. We have to understand that. If sin wasn't the greatest enemy of living a life of truth and living a life that God designed and created, why would Jesus become a curse? Why would he even say that? Why would he he pay for sin if sin wasn't our biggest problem? Why would he provide a pathway to God if it wasn't important for us to live in relationship with that God? Why would he do that? Because we are a cursed people. And we are people who are condemned already apart from Christ. But the beautiful thing is he exchanged his life for ours. Right? He freely gives us his life. This is a beautiful exchange. We see this beautiful picture in the following verses. After he said this, he went back outside and the Jews told him, I find no guilt in man. So this is Pilate talking. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release to you one man for you that the Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they cried out to him, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And this is how this chapter ends. The religious elite have another chance to allow an innocent man to go and walk free. But you know, sinners do what sinners do. That's sin. And I know. And apart from Christ, we will fall and do the exact same thing over and over again. By nature, we are self-seeking, self-preserving, self-exalting sinners, hell-bent on satisfying the flesh. That's what we are. But they didn't let the innocent man free. No, there was a great exchange. They set Barabbas free. Barabbas, son, this name means son of the father. Bar Abba us. So son of the father. Who shall I let go? Son of the father or son of the father? Which one should I let free? So you have the true son of the father being condemned in place of a murderous thief. Son of the Father in exchange for making us sons and daughters of the Father. Barabbas in exchange for Jesus. This is the picture of the gospel in action. This is the picture of what has happened to us. All four gospels talk about Barabbas. In Luke, he calls him a murderer. In Matthew, it says this in verse 16. It says, and they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas was known. He saw, he knew. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, whom you've called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd and asked, Barabbas, Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. It's what the text says. They wanted to destroy Jesus. And the governor again said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Barabbas.
Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the one you call Christ? Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? And they shouted even more, Let him be crucified. Let him be the curse. Let him hang on the tree like a common criminal. And let's show everybody what we do with people who do what he does. Go try to steal from us and take our people. Look at what we'll do to you. Hang you up like a common criminal to die. That's what they wanted. And that's what our sovereign Savior wanted. The world stands wanting its own. The world hates Jesus. They will hate us as well. That's the reality. Barabbas is on trial for crimes he did commit. He is guilty. He deserves death. He deserves justice. And the world wants Barabbas free, but Jesus also wants Barabbas free as well. And freedom comes at a price. Freedom from sin costs the son of father his life. Know this, that we are Barabbas, just like him. We have sinned, and if you have sinned, you stand condemned. We have fallen short of God's standards, and we're no better off than Barabbas in this story, waiting for execution, waiting for punishment. That is the reality of our story, but here walks Jesus, and the great exchange takes place. We are Barabbas. Just like the religious elite crying out for the exchange of the guilty man for the innocent, the innocent man stands in the place of the guilty. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus accomplished. In order for him to seek and save the lost, he has to go to the cross. He must suffer for the crimes of humanity, not just for those people sent out there, not for those people that we can look at and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what they're doing, but for yours, for mine. Mine, personally, this exchange is the picture of the heart of what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross, letting the guilty go free. This is the price that Jesus has paid. He was in a trial of lies, but the king of truth stands, showing us the blueprint of true humanity. And not only does he show us the blueprint, but he gives us everything we need. He gives us everything that we need for eternal life. This is the great exchange. It's a picture of the reality that takes place for every Christian. The guilty in exchange for the innocent. And this changes everything. This provides freedom and hope and purpose and joy. We get a clear picture of what has been uh, purchased at the cross. Now we have the actual ability to think on whatever is true and noble and right and whatever is pure and lovely and admirable things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. We are free from not taking offense that every slight or every appeared threat. We are free to take care, every care to the Father and lay it at the foot of the cross. We can approach the king of the universe, not as a hired person, but a son. Being adopted into the family of God, do you understand why I have to talk about this stuff? I want you to be in love 
with what this story is talking about and showing. What is going on? What is happening? The creator of the universe is a man of his word. He said sin will lead to death and we sin. We deserve death. It's that simple. He created, he sets the terms. If you don't want to die, don't sin. Okay, sounds good. But we did sin. But knowing that we do sin, what does he do? In order to keep his word, sends his son, dies on a cross, satisfies sin. The wrath of God paid. Then he says, trust in me. And when you talk to me, when you pray, when you do work in my name, I will be present with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to just have you on the side of the road or a ditch. I'm going to be with you, equipping you for ministry in my name. What you were really designed for. He does that. Well, then amen. And let's go. Because we're to love God, love people, teach others to do the same. And it's a joyful thing. I don't want us to lose that love, that spark, that beauty of what this really happens. I don't want us to just be moral people. I want us to be transformed people. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, I can't transform anybody, but you can. You satisfy the wrath of God at the cross. You are such a kind Father. You allow us even right now that I can pray to you, talk to you, have conversations with you, that I can be present with you. You give that reality to every born-again believer here at Portable Temples. If anybody feels far off or lost or confused, I pray that peace would be present. That you would walk with them, soften their hearts, fill them with joy, fill them with love. For those that don't know you, Father, I pray that they would trust in you. Because you are a good, good Father. You really are. The amount of beauty that can just be found walking through the Bible. A book that gets wider and deeper with the years. Let us be quick to forgive. Let us be quick to not take offense. Father, I repent of being so quick to be annoyed and taking offense. For being fleshly in my behavior. Clear out my heart. Because you are worth it. You are worthy. Father, I'm thankful for you. Bless these men and women today. Equip them. Allow them to Find rest in you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.